Welcome to Try Not to Blink, a podcast about the ups and downs, ins and outs, news, tips, and tricks of those who live the optometry lifestyle. We'd like to thank the amazing people at Valley Contacts who have made this podcast possible. Makers of stellar gas permeable lenses and the oh-so-incredible custom stable scleral lens. In case you're wondering, I'm on the East Coast. My name is Dr. James Diem, and I'm joined by my talented co-host, who's repping the West Coast, Dr. Roya Habibi. What's up, Roya? You know, doing this podcast, it's been a while now, and there's ups and downs to doing a podcast, and obviously we wasted an no, entire episode talking only about it. Well, one of the downs I have to say is that you know, the only face I mostly get to look at is yours, and not that I'm You're upset welcome. about that, but, you know, like, we don't get that much, because it's not live, we don't get that much interaction on a day-to-day basis, but we've started to get a ton of people reaching out, and it's so right. validating. It feels so damn good. I love it. Right? Some good, some not good, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's wonderful because nothing, nothing, literally nothing was as bad as the first thing, our first uh, review, our first, right? I mean. Yes. It's true, pierced to the heart. That was so, that was rough. Let me see if I can find I, that. I think a lot of people would have given up if they had that review. It was pretty upsetting. Let me, it was I'm, just like, you know, you're subpar people and you suck at life. Quit this podcast while you're ahead. Okay, I'm going to tell everyone what it was in case you missed it. Bull Eye. <laughs> that was July 2018. Made it through the first four episodes. Really no format. Chronic tangents. Lots of complaining. A hard listen. <laughs> Might be interesting for Here me. Here we are a now. year later. Obviously, it didn't affect us at all. Maybe in a year they'll find themselves <laughs> and don't ramble so much. Sorry, Bull Eye. Hopefully, that's true. Would you review us again and tell us the truth? If that's the yeah, case or not. Yeah, please. If you made it a year and, you know, 60 episodes later, <laughs> Maybe you you'll take it. A, yeah. Either way. So anyway. On to a positive. I feel like that actually was extremely constructive. When I got that, I had the most anxiety ever. And I was like, I'm either quitting this or giving us a format. <laughs> and so that's why I basically stylize every episode and make Jimmy yeah. fall into a very strict regimen of what to do. Which you That's, usually don't follow all, still. It's so true. But at least it, it's like hurting me in the right direction. True, and true. We, we get there. But somehow. for reals, shout out, holler to Miles Beck. Yeah. He just sent us a really, really cool message. And I we just want to say a couple. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But his first line, obviously, just like was a hard string of mine. Quote, unquote, first of all, your podcast is dope. Duh. Like, cool. Thank you for those words and all that. Not to brag or anything, but he's been listening since episode one. And the funny part is he's an undergrad, okay, people? Like, what a loyal listener. This is great. He loves it, the ins and outs and all he says, which he doesn't even know the clinical lingo, yet he listens to it. Like, gosh. But he knows the ins and outs. That means, even I wonder how many that. times he hits the 30-second fast-forward on Jimmy. No way. That's the <laughs> best part. Yeah. <laughs> so, which um, we do record every time. I think a lot of people, you know, need to know. We are podcast naturalists. We don't true. believe in recording, you know pre-edited no no pre things that we just cut and paste no we do this every time yes how we feel exactly horse 
sick True. on top of our game, not. True. True. Yeah, we do it. And so I'm just going to keep going on what he said. He is interested yeah. in scleral contact lenses, specifically, Love he it. says. Um, for some reason, he thinks that's an aspect that's super unique in optometry, hands-on, challenging too. Um, and he wanted to know our opinion. So is scleral lens emphasis common for optometrists to offer? I know it's something I'd like to do someday, but as of now, I can hardly find any docs to shadow or talk to in my suburban area that emphasize fitting sclerals in their practice. Is hmm. it as uncommon to do as it apparently seems? Man. I will take that first. Yeah, go And for it. I know we have a... But I think the answer is yes. I think you're I right. I think it is as uncommon as it seems. I really do think so. What it's do you talked think? about so commonly. Like now you go to every show, all the different meetings, and I, I see all these scleral lens lectures and I'm like, dude, we need to progress. <laughs> like we need to go to the next topic. Like go to advanced level fitting. Go to things that are truly troubleshooting. But I realize that the reason that they keep having to talk about it is because people truly aren't challenging themselves or doing it. And maybe not everyone's meant to challenge themselves. And, but- we, and we don't have the data. Like, no one's pushing the data forward. Very few people, I don't think. I mean, I know individuals, I will say. I will say there are companies, Valley Contacts definitely is pushing the envelope, supporting research at several institutions and on a private level. And I know they have a lot of stuff going on to try and answer some of these questions about fogging, corneal edema, glaucoma suspicion. You know, all these things that we sort of muse about um, theoretically, but very, you know, much have no clue whether it's something that we should be concerned about or not. It's true. And that's a perfect segue into what we've been talking about the past two weeks, our self-titled month of August visionary appreciation month and our partnership with our primary sponsor, Valley contacts. Thanks Valley. The week we've been mentioning has finally arrived. We spent We're the past here. two weeks hyping and prepping for an announcement that they wanted to make or that they had been the making. week. And so you know how when you, everyone kind of probably knows about when you order a custom contact lens, you have to pick all these options, warranty, return, material, shipping, blah, blah, blah. Who knows what the final cost is going to be to you, what's going to be covered, what you have to pay for. So Jimmy, tell us what they've done. Yeah. So, I mean, this is the reason why I think going back to what Miles said, you know, how many people do scleral lenses? And I think in in truth, the answer is very few because people are so concerned about the cost and the cost of the practice. And is it going to work? Is it not going to work? Because people have tried it once on, you know, some very difficult patient and they just lost their shirt on it. So, you know, one of the things that Roya and I have had the pleasure of doing is working and consulting with Valley Contacts on many different projects. And one of those projects is just, you know, helping new fitters, uh, you know, be uh, better at, you know, fitting the lens and implementing it into the practice. One of the biggest things that they ask is how much does the lens cost? And is there warranty? Is there return? So they've come up with something called the, are you ready? Total. Total cost. cost guarantee. The total cost guarantee. TCG. TCG. Changes everything. This is a big deal. And I, I think we need to like edit in some music while we say total <laughs> cost guaranteed. Now, every lens they sell includes two free, day, 
free day to well free two day shipping. So excited she can't even any get the material word that you want. No upcharges, unlimited remakes, cancellations for 120 days. Bump out that three months longer. Free add-ons, upgrades like Edge Vault or Quadrant-specific options. And they even have a risk-free 100% credit on patient cancellation. So one price keeps it simple. You don't need to worry about, you know, oh, am I going to get nickeled and dimed every time I send this back? And, you know, am I going to need to worry about, you know, the the touristy in the lens? Is that another cost? Do we have to do something different there? No, you, you don't have you to get the lens. Exactly. The you, patient needs. You don't have to sacrifice doing something for a patient because of cost, which I think is great. Um, the, it, when they're, for instance, most of my patients I'm fitting in scleral lenses need toricity in their haptics or the landing zone on their eye is toric. And that's historically been a little bit more expensive. I haven't considered it as a cost when it's necessary, but it's something that you should consider, you know, for your own what you are paying for the patient or you, I, something you used to have to consider, but no more. And that's awesome. It really is. And I think it's going to change the game big time for people, you know, when they're considering, you know, what, what lens are going to grab and, you know, what, what uh, company they're going to work with. One of the things Valley Context has always tried to do, Janice and Josh um, at Valley Context family owned business um, is, is, make this an accessible resource to help people get this to people that need it. Um, you know, the, they have the custom stable project to help patients get lenses that can't afford them. If you don't know about that, please call them and ask, but you know, this is just another effort to try and make the lens more accessible. This isn't it. Valley is supporting our listeners with another deal of the week. So if you've been listening in the past, you've heard about the deals of the week. So I'm not going to tell you what they are, but you got to go check them out. So deal of the week is now available, (laughs) exclusive only to our listeners. So go to valleycontext.com slash TN2B and enter our secret code to be in the club. So secret code of the week is TCG. Do it. Yeah, enter it now to start saving. So we thought it might be fun kind of on that, on uh, Miles's comment of how doctors may not commonly be fitting and just in in the idea of trying to fit a new lens is we want to f- create a contact lens fitting challenge, a custom lens fitting challenge. And so we would like to pose to all our listeners to fit someone. It could be a staff member in your office. It could be another doctor. Another doctor. I actually fit one of our surgeons who loves his scleral lenses. That's cool. Um, Offer it to a keratoconus patient with the corneal GP that fits bad. They are slow pitch for warming up to fitting scleral lenses because they aren't going to flinch. Um, Try it. Trial it on a patient with a high prescription, healthy eyes, but poorer vision than you'd expect. Yeah. Anyone who's fitting, tell us your story. Best story debuted on the podcast we want to hear it boom send it in maybe some try not to blink swag some solid swag we've got some good stuff lined up cool maybe all right let's jump into some eye news yeah tell us well uh we're gonna we're gonna kind of do a little potpourri today of uh interesting anterior segment slash corneal stuff so uh trefoil therapeutics have you heard about them 
Sounds like a um, cookie from the Girl Scouts. (laughs) (laughs) Therapeutics. Well, they are raising more money than, actually, probably Girl Scout cookies makes more money than this, (laughs) but uh, raised $28 million in a Series A investment round to advance the engineering of a growth factor, um, engineered fibroblast growth factor one. Um, which is a regenerative pharmacological therapy to treat serious corneal endothelial diseases like uh, more advanced uh, type of fuchs or uh, potentially uh, corneal damage from chemical injury or herpetic keratopathy. Pretty interesting stuff. Um, so this is uh, something that you know we'll keep an eye out for. Uh, they're raising a lot of money uh, to try and get this growth factor going. Another thing that you've heard about when it comes to growth factor is um, the uh, medicine that was recently um, uh, approved for uh, corneal neuro- neuropathic pain, um, which we discussed on a previous... Oxervate. Yes, Oxervate. That's right. I was drawing a blank. I haven't done it yet. Actually, I had a patient today who I really think needs it, um, and I just I haven't pulled the trigger on it. Isn't it funny I, that we I say just, we haven't done it yet, haven't prescribed it yet? Haven't done it. I've prescribed, prescribed it. it. Have you prescribed I it? I prescribed it for a patient who actually is kind of like opposite of why you'd think to prescribe it. But they, uh, I prescribed it for a patient that has severe eye pain, okay. like neuropathic pain, which we might mention in a little bit. But right. um, not totally the true indication, but I got it fully approved by insurance, which was pretty awesome because the medication wow. costs about $60,000, I think. Jesus. So, yeah, that was pretty nice. awesome. But, um, but yeah. Did it work? Um. <laughs> No. A whole other story. I wouldn't say it doesn't work. I would say my patient was a pain in the butt. But anyways, whole another story. We'll leave that for another epi. So right. <laughs> next. What else? Tell us more. So the Journal of Refractive Surgery this year came out with a article saying that post-LASIK and PRK change in dry eye symptoms are linked to gender and whether patients wear contact lenses. So they did a retrospective study and they analyzed over 13,000 patients that underwent either LASIK or PRK through a like three-year period. They looked at pre-op and three-month post-op outcomes through a questionnaire, an outcome questionnaire. And they found that contact lens wearers and females are associated to worse dry eye symptoms, no relationship with the age of the patient. So we think older women perhaps would have a higher uh, risk for dry eye and that's not true. They also found that dry eye patients with worst preoperative symptoms showed an uh, increased likelihood in symptom improvement three months after LASIK. Does that make sense how I said that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we found no correlation between pre-op refractive error or change in dry eye symptoms. So they were specifically looking at myopic eyes and um, found that deeper ablations do not induce more dry eye symptoms. So... Hmm. Also, they found, interestingly, that those who had moderate to severe dry eye before the study did not show an increase in symptoms after the procedure. So that doesn't Hmm. make sense either. Yeah, this it's an interesting study. I, I, it's not really a study. It's more of like a you know retrospective. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But females wearing contacts. There's definitely studies that have been done that show you know that 
that corneal nerve regeneration is different with, you know, various uh, LASIK versus PRK versus Right. Uh, I always thought that LASIK was more drying than PRK. Right. But I can tell you right. I have patients that have had PRK that are still in pain, including actually right. our pediatric ophthalmologist that works with me. She had PRK? She had PRK and struggles. I just prescribed hmm. Restasis for her, actually. Not fantastic. Anyways, thought it might be fun to talk about creative ways to entice millennials. So our age group, perhaps. Uh, but millennials. found a cool way that an optometrist office, well, an office in Texas. So this was actually um, uh, best of the best in Envision magazine. They highlighted, this was actually an old article that they brought back. But a Texas optometry office figured out a way to get more patients to buy daily disposables. So... Essentially, patients are more likely to buy glasses when they aren't paying upfront for their contacts. So they were trying to figure out a way to do that. And the idea is that they wanted to offer dailies to patients, but they wanted to be able to do a contact lens subscription plan. Okay. So obviously there are rebates for contact lenses and you need to buy all of the contacts to be able to get into the rebates. But by offering a subscription plan, you could apply the insurance benefits and take advantage of the rebates while paying monthly instead of all at once. So basically, they do a 90-pack of X contact lenses for $75 or an annual cost of $600. Let's say that's the numbers. So they add a subscription fee to cover the year's storage. So let's say $25 for the year storage. So now your $600 becomes $625. So if they have the vision benefit, you can apply it to the first month's down payment. So let's say they have a $150 benefit. You subtract that from your total. That's now $475 that they owe. Then divide this by 11, so 11 months after. They're going to have $43 that they're spending every month. Okay, So slightly more expensive than purchasing it outright, but allows the patient to submit the rebate because they have purchased all of the contacts. And... Um, they have an agreement that they have the patient sign to be able to get the yearly supply, which is pretty cool. Interesting. Right? So overall, there's no savings. In to fact, the no, you pay a little more, but there's no saving with buying on one eight hundred contacts really. There's no saving on buying from Costco. But when you see a forty three dollar a month payment as opposed to the six twenty five, that so seems my super question- reasonable is just my you know the next question i would ask is how do you bill that so you bill everything the the trick is that they're they're storing the contacts for the patient in office right so then who like takes care of that (laughs) you know like so you store it in the office you that you know they purchase them um and then they you send it to them then like you send it to their house or they come and pick it up or you and then does is there a credit card like that they signed something that says you're gonna bill you no matter what on this date yep it looks like they have some sort of they have some sort of program that's as much as i've got out of this but let's see i think it's a great idea right you have to um the insurance and vision plan allows them to provide lenses without and okay i'm just reading here um, they offer subscribers the option of having lenses mailed to them for an additional charge of $3 a month. Okay. And let's yeah. see what else. Let's see. They hold, they order and hold the annual supply dispensing every 30, 90 days. 
Since the supply is invoiced to the patient, they can utilize the manufacturer's rebates, blah, blah, blah. Pretty cool. Hmm. So you'd need to have storage available, but this is a way to grow your daily contact lens prescription, compete with online options. So Is just, it only dailies that they do it with? Um, don't know that answer, but you probably could do it with anyone, but to be honest, yeah. who prescribes anything with dailies? <laughs> just kidding. But it's true. Real quick, I want to know, um, since we're talking about soft contact lenses, have you utilized Ultra for astigmatism uh, and presbyopia yet? I've just ordered for two patients. One okay. patient actually is as a neuro-ophthalmologist that works with me. He's got dry eyes, and he's been wearing AccuView Oasis, and he's got astigmatism, and he only wants distance vision, and he's 55. Uh, and he complains yes. that he can't see. He always wants super sharp distance vision. So it's this constant annoyance. And so I finally ordered it for him. Obviously, it's just because it just came available. And I'd, ordered, I'd given him the, OA, the ultra toric lens in office. And I was like, I'm going to order you trials because we don't have a fitting kit yet. So he gets them and he's like, you know, I don't see that well up close. So I think I'm going to just stick with the single vision distance. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. If you see just as well far away, come back in here. Let me order you some more trials. And he's like, oh, yeah, I yeah. see fine far away. So I'd gotten him lows in both eyes. And he actually, okay. when he wore in his lows with his perfect distance prescription, he saw 2015 far away and he saw J4, which I'm not ashamed that I say J4. But basically like 2040, exactly. He's, he's like, you know, 2M <laughs> font. Good. Really good. But he just yeah. wasn't quite that. So I'm going to increase it to a medium. We'll see how it goes. But actually, I'm impressed. And this is the second patient now. Another patient of mine I order from similar outcome. Hmm. So don't, yeah. be, don't be modest on the medium powers. But it actually worked pretty darn good. So what did you do for the next step then? High low? So I did. Uh -huh. No, they have a low, medium, high. So no, they don't. Yeah, they, no, no. Oh, you're right. You're right. I did. Wait, are you sure? <laughs> not to, not to. Are you sure? You know, correct you, but no, for sure they, they don't have, have a okay, lot. So yeah, positive. then I grow. I think so. He was actually under corrected in one eye. So I. So yeah. And that was his, or sorry, over corrected in an eye. So I could add a little plus. You backed plush, off a Went bit. too high, in one eye. Okay. And then kept his you low did. in the you, other. You did go to the. High. I actually just ordered always... both highs just for fun, but I think he's just to cover stick your with bases. One. Yeah. I. That's what you know. I. I. I I wonder how much a medium really does, you know, in the multifocal fitting process, but I like having one. I like mean, it's like a safety net, I right? I um, used it a lot. You know, honestly, one of my favorite multifocals, especially for cost practicality, is the one day moist multifocal works really well. And they're medium. One they day got moist a medium. multifocal, yeah, I like it too. Total one's great too, but I tend to get those. Yeah, and it's similar, right? Because they have a low, medium, high there exactly. too. Um yeah, they're similar. Uh, yeah, so we, we got the fitting set like a week ago, two weeks ago, and I've been putting it on a lot of people, actually, and I've actually had two or three successes already, so I'm actually pleasantly surprised with it. I thought Same. it was going to be a debacle, but it's so nice to have it like right there, you know, um, to pop on and just kind of see. Totally agree. This, are, we, are we close? You know, is totally this really going to help? So I think it's going to be a game changer for people. I mean... The only alternative right now, aside from custom softs, would be your ProClear. And to be honest, I just think that's too old of a lens. And 
Yeah, it just feels like we're going back in time, personally. Yeah, I, th- I think it's great to have a high DK material that's available for patients. Yeah. So, cool. want to give pay, uh, our listeners some billing tips. So, we gave some last time and thought today, since we're on the chronicle of cornea stuff, we'd talk about corneal topography. So, how often do you bill for your topographies? Me? Um when I do it and it's uh, for medical necessity, that is my official answer. <laughs> um, yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I'm not going to do it unless it's somehow directing my um, medical decision making. So, you know, I know it's not a test that's highly reimbursed. It's pretty low uh, reimbursement. So, you know, if, if at the end of the day, you know, I get like a denial or, you know, code doesn't work or whatever, the ICD-10 code for the CPT code, then, you know, it's not something I'm going to drive my billing people crazy about because I know it's pretty low reimbursement. But I, I bill it pretty regularly. So the reimburse, the CPT code for this is 92025 for those who don't know. And it's defined as unilateral or unilateral or bilateral so whether you do one or both eyes it's reimbursed the same the 2018 national medicare fee schedule is allowable for 38 dollars and 88 cents so 18 bucks is assigned to the technical component and 20 bucks is assigned to the professional component i.e the interpretation so um, and of course with private payers that could be different maybe more or less depending on who they are but documentation required for billing this what are things that you document well uh i always uh document that i ordered the test i always document that um you know when i ordered it i document what the test what the machine is what do you mean Um, when you ordered it at 2 p.m ordered it um to be honest, it is a checkbox in my <laughs> yeah. medical EMR, and the time uh, clicks, and that's it. Well, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. So first of all, here are the things that they want to look for if your chart gets audited. The, that you ordered the test, the date of the test, the reliability in case it's compromised, test findings, um, comparison if there is any prior comparison, a diagnosis if possible, the impact on treatment and prognosis, and of course your signature and yeah. date. So writing yeah, you got to have a diagnosis. Oh yeah, you have to. A brief notation such as abnormal or within normal does not suffice. Doesn't work, huh? Not enough. So hmm. I, d- I wrote that the other day. <laughs> I guess it was on something else, but normal phobia within normal limits. Good for phobial contour. W N L. We never <laughs> yeah. looked. Yeah. Anyway, so for today's topic or main um, conversation for today, I thought we would talk about something that drives me literally insane and is honestly one of my like things that I feel, though I do a lot in it, I feel almost weak because I don't know enough on how to deal with it. It's almost like it's at the end of my rope, yet I don't know what to do next for my patients. So corneal pain corneal neuropathic pain, uh, 
pain without stain. There's a lot of different ways people talk about it. There was actually a recent uh, article pu- published in Ocular Surgery in July that talks about a complex, often misdiagnosed, and difficult to manage corneal or clinical entity. So corneal pain is a defense system that signals injury or loss of ocular surface homeostasis and not rarely patients may report significant symptoms while presenting few to no signs of inflammation. So neuropathic pain occurs when the corneal nociceptors, nociceptors, whatever that means. Just kidding, I know. So who? <laughs> become dysfunctional and they develop an increasing hypersensitivity to physiological or noxious stimuli, even including drafts of air, temperature changes, chemical changes, and fire independently of stimulus. They can be sensitive to light. At following stages, there may be central sensitization. Um, So the central nerves in the brain become sensitized and detect pain independent of something happening in the eye. This is very difficult to manage and can become chronic. How many patients do you see that have this problem? Um, I would say I probably see uh, one to two, maybe more every day that have some degree of corneal uh, sensitivity changes, I would say. For sure. Um, and, and I think that probably if we're honest with ourselves, quite a few have people, there are quite a few people have pain without stain or stain without pain, right? And that is what we're talking about, right? Exactly. It's just really hard patient to deal with too because I feel oftentimes, at least by the time they come to see me, I've managed the Center for Eye Comfort. And so whether it be my colleagues or people- The Center for Eye Comfort. That's my- That's what it's called? I've never told you that before? No, I never, you never ever told me that. Yeah, that's my, that's my, uh, that's my baby. Baby project I started. I like it. It's been going on for like three and a half, four years now. So- Center for Eye Comfort is my center that people refer to. And by the time patients often come see me, it's they've done a lot, which sometimes is good and sometimes not. But they're chasing different things oftentimes. And very often patients have true dry eye. And very often they have both, right? Kind of like Jimmy was just saying. But it's a really tough thing to get patients to understand especially when other doctors are telling them one way or the other for instance i have a patient she's like 20 she's also depressed she's got significant eye pain that's hugely ruining her life and she keeps seeing multiple doctors as well to obviously get opinions because it like obviously if you're not having any progress you think that things aren't working and she has doctors telling her she needs you know in my her meibomian glands are terrible and this is the source of her 9 out of 10 pain and i agree that the meibomian glands cause a majority of dry eye but is that what's tr- causing her pain that she can't even nullify with a numbing drop no you know is that causing her enough pain she can't do anything she wants to do anymore no so right. it's a tough situation to get her to understand that you need to do these other things and getting uh my bomian gland probing isn't going to be what's going to be your cure. Sure, it can make your glands work better, but it's not going to be your cure. Right. It's a hard thing for patients to understand. And I think there's just a huge, you know, burgeoning world of information in 
this, right? Because yeah. now we have, you know, we we're just talking about Oxervate and we we're talking about other growth factors. And one thing that I think is interesting is that if you look at dues, uh, the dues, the dry workshop, uh, dues one and two, dues one did not have anything about pain and sensation. And then dues two had the pain and sensation report. Right. And in it, it said, we insist on the concept that dry eye symptoms and sensations are a form of pain. Yeah. It looked at the neurons responsible for sensation on the ocular surface and also the mechanical forces, noxious chemicals and changes in temperature that could affect them. So if you want to know more about what we're talking about, really some good bathroom reading, that's a good place to go. Put that right on the back of your seat. Great one. That's right. So... One of the articles I was reading, I thought this was something worth mentioning to everyone. So we all know and we've all heard the fun fact that the cornea is the most powerful pain generator in the eye. I like how they wrote it that way, though. So it has the, most, the highest density of pain receptors. It actually says it's estimated 40 times that of dental pulp, the next closest, I suppose. Um, and that damage to these fibers, especially in the cornea, can cause these symptoms. So taking a little tour of the trigeminal nerve, so little little hardcore anatomy coming at you, but unlike other cranial nerves, cranial nerve 5 has several nuclei in the brainstem. Three peripheral branches. Do you remember their names? Yes. <laughs> it's okay, I don't. <laughs> All of these emanate from what's called the caudal nucleus, which connects the thalamus into the sensory system of the brain. And the main job of this first division is to supply the sensation to the eye and the orbit. It also supplies the large part of the dura, which is essentially why people feel headache, head pains, and eye pains oftentimes together. But both the sympathetic and parasympathetic systems travel along this trigeminal nerve. And that often is why they have atypical both head and neck pain, Um, all these painful stimuli, obviously, emanate from here or from there so confocal microscopy which most of us don't have (laughs) but it can reveal an abnormal collection of unusually tortuous corneal nerves consistent with this neuropathy and also interesting oftentimes with this neuralgia patients complain of burning um, or something very vague as pain right not necessarily sandy or gritty feeling, or dryness, but more stinging or burning, right? Do you have a confocal microscope? Seems like something you would have. No, we don't. No, we don't. Uh, that That is uh, the only person I know that uses that. Um, there's a guy, a researcher in uh, Colorado that um, I know speaks uh, about this pretty regularly. An optometrist? And, um, yeah. Oh, cool. We had yeah, one well, at he's KCI. part of, you know, the University sure. of Colorado's, you know, ophthalmology program. I think the closest um, thing to me is Portland University of, or Oregon Health and Science University has one at their eye institute, KCI Institute. But even in Seattle, there isn't a single one. In fact, University of Washington reached out to us because they're trying to do a study and they didn't have one. <laughs> it's like, that should be something you So have. they were seeing if you guys had one? Yeah, which we don't. Maybe someday. Yeah, yeah. Doctor Scott Hasworth has one. Is uh, who I'm referring to. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Hasworth. Yeah, and he, so he he is the director of the Ocular Surface Center at the Colorado School of Medicine. I know they have a 
a pain department there where they do a lot of research on that. Um, I want to give everyone some tips on different ways to try and figure out, I mean, all of that anatomy and the trigeminal nerve is all super non-clinical for most of us to think about in a practical application, but how, where the nerve damage or pain is stemming from, there are two general sources, peripheral, so are the peripheral nerves damaged, or are this, is it more of a centralized pain syndrome? Um, and trying to decide between the two, there's they've come up with a relatively straightforward way to figure this out. So one way that you can do this is just to try and just, oh, like stuttering over my words, sorry, people. Um, <laughs> to figure out whether it's central or peripheral pain, you can do what they call the, uh, God, they have some catchy name, the prepare cane challenge test. <laughs> Ooh, prepare cane challenge. <laughs> Yeah. It's like the Pepsi challenge, yeah. but prepare again. But way better. <laughs> you put anesthetic on the eye, before which you can rate a scale of 1 to 10 what the patient's pain is. And then after the anesthetic starts, uh, like is in effect, ask the patient if their pain diminishes or goes away. If it does, it's telling you that you're dealing with peripheral sensitization. Sensitization. I can't say it. Um, peripheral nerves. And if it doesn't go away, then you have more of a centralized pain. With with a numbing drop, you should numb all of those peripheral nerves. If that's the case, treatment you need to aim at decreasing sensitivity of these corneal nerves and shielding them from their environment. So whether it be a scleral contact lens, autologous serum eye drops that can help repair the nerves, um, Procara is something that I utilize in my office as a treatment, um, and generally uh, dry eye treatments can help as well because anything can be a trigger for their pain. So if you don't deal with this peripheral pain, it will eventually become centralized pain, whether it be fast or slow, but it is a progressive thing. And if you do not give them some sort of treatment, it can flip over to central pain and this becomes a much bigger issue and harder to deal with. With this condition, if it is centralized pain, so again, using the prepare cane challenge test, no response to anesthetic, then this condition is much more difficult to, to manage effectively, and they often require a systemic approach with systemic medications for their nerves, whether it be uh, pre, uh, gabapentin, um, different fibromyalgia medications, other chronic pain medications or pr- pain management things. Naltrexone is one that some of my patients are on. Cymbalta is one that some of my patients are on. Um, so something to help deal with nerve pain. For me, I've started to be a little bit more comfortable in prescribing these, these medications, but I have uh, found some different pain management specialists in my area uh, to be able to co-manage uh, these patients with because, again, that's this is a bigger problem than just their eyes. And I feel that another specialist... Have you found getting, success with that? Is that something... Do you mind sharing any You know, I've actually really been struggling with that. So I've been reaching out to a couple pain clinics, but just like us, they are busy. So I, I keep right. saying I'm going to go over on one of my days off and just go over and around lunchtime Make and friends. hope they'll talk to me. Yeah. But I just haven't made the time, which I'm so ashamed of because there are a couple of patients I really need help with. Because if you pick the wrong specialist or even someone that kind of seems like they do some sort of facial pain. They'll totally poo-poo it. Oh, they'll, like I had a patient go in that she had waited months to get in this darn appointment. And then she goes to the office and he's like, well, I don't do anything with eye pain. And she's like, but I need like nerve healing, blah, blah, blah. Like like I kind of coached her into knowing what to 
what to expect. What to say, yeah. And he just like, like nah. did not help at all. So that was not doing hugely that. disappointing. I know at um one of the models that I'd love to replicate in some way is Adam Bascom Palmer. That's at University of Miami, I believe. They have mm-hmm. a really good uh, partnership with their pain clinic. And okay. they have an awesome setup there where they do a lot more, aside from just the oral medications, to try and treat their patients. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I'd love to be able to do that, but working on that. What do you do for Me these too. patients? Honestly, uh, we we haven't gotten into prescribing any of the oral medicines yet. I just haven't uh, availed myself to learning more about it. But, you know, certainly I know that it's something that other folks are doing. Um, it's, it's something that I should know a little bit more about. But I don't. I, I think just educating patients in that it is a, a sort of a chronic pain awareness um, is something that helps, you know, that they're not crazy, that they're not an idiot, that they're not, you know, it's not that their eyes aren't dry. They are telling them that there's something wrong, but you know, it's just helpful for them to understand that. So I think trying to help them understand that helps. I think we're always trying to address the inflammation. Uh, we know that, you know, inflammation, chronic inflammation sensitizes the nerves that, signal to the brain that there's a problem so trying to help them from an inflammatory standpoint is is part of it um you know whether that's with cyclosporin or lodopredinol fml lifidograst serum drops um there were a couple studies done we probably talked about them at some point in the past before from uh, amniotic membranes that showed that using cryopreserved amniotic membranes in dry eye did help regrow um, some corneas, uh, nerves, not corneas, but helped regrow corneal nerve density. So there, there was a study done that showed that. I'm sorry. I was joking. Sorry. I interrupted. Oh, you. bad joke. Being serious. Bad joke. Bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, corneal nerve. So corneal nerve density and also corneal nerve sensitivity. So that we will, you know, toss on a amniotic membrane, a cryopreserved amniotic membrane, um, one other thing that we'll sometimes try is True Tier. So we're still, you know, working with True Tier and u- utilizing that to stimulate corneal nerve sensation and, and tear production. Um, we found good success with that. So we'll try that. Um, yeah, I actually, else? I want to mention that too, because I think people, I think probably too, because Allergan dropped wrapping it at all. They don't bring out reps for True Tier anymore, but it's right. sort of dropped off the the face of the earth conversation pathway as much yeah. but i do still use true tier and my patients still really enjoy true tier and it's pretty cool that you can get a patient to feel it right away so i love it with this those who don't know what true tier is it's an, a nasostimulating device that actually the patient right. puts into their nose and it releases a nasostimulating uh i don't know yeah like it stimulates the nerves And it directly stimulates stimulates the first division of the trigeminal nerve, which is in your nose. And a patient right away will feel and like feel something from it. They'll feel watering in their eye that does not overflow. And it's a complete tear. So it's stimulating all levels of the tearing, both mucin, aqueous and um, lipid production, which is pretty cool. So 
Um, it's a really nice option. And what I've started to learn to reading other non true tier studies. So we're talking about nerve healing studies. If you are, I tell my patients this when they're trying true tier or any, any, uh, nerve healing thing that we are doing we know that nerves can regenerate and they tend to grow on a cyclical pattern right so usually every nine-ish weeks is what a lot of studies and most of these are animal models but models show that the nerves can regenerate and it usually takes about three to four months to do so and so if you were to use these different things to allow the nerves to heal you can get effects not that it's you're going to be healed altogether, but effects just happen slowly. And so the more you do to reduce the strain on your eye, thus allowing the nerves to have less things to do so they have a chance to heal, that's when you get true healing. So I tell my patients this super generic, you know, I like to give metaphors sometimes, that the nerves are responsible not only for feeling pain, but also for maintaining clarity, keeping the eye lubricated, you know, make sure, making sure everything's working properly. You know, they're, they're the brains of the operation in regards to how the eyes feel. And so if it is constantly being nagged by the fact that it's in pain, it never has full potential to do what it needs to do, including like, okay, I'm in pain, so let me overwater. Okay, I'm in pain. Like you're always doing the wrong job because you're just trying to catch right. up. So if you give it the option, for instance, by using Trutier or putting a scleral lens on or some of these different treatment options that we have, then that nerve finally has like 17 things off its to-do list and it can finally start healing. And right. so that's often how I explain it to my patients. But I like that. Yeah. But yeah. Cool. Anyways. So thinking outside the box, dry eye isn't always just dry eye. Pain isn't always right. dry eye. And the sooner you recognize that, the more likely you can do something to change it. So one of the big eye pain specialists is uh, Pedris Hamra, who Pedris, I'm pretty sure that's her name. Dr. Hamra um, is a pain specialist out of Boston. And he also wrote in one of these articles I mentioned. And he said, if a patient has this for six months to a year, the chances of treatment it becomes very difficult to treat. So the chances of it going to a central pain syndrome is much higher. So if the pain is lingering and they're not having symptomatic changes, then if you feel it's out of your comfort zone to continue treating, it's time to refer to another specialist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think that's that's smart because so many people, you know, I see have been treated, you know, fortunately, just with artificial tears yeah. or just with warm compresses or whatever, you know, whatever is up to that doctor's comfort level. And I think so often, you know, the patient needs needs more or or just for stasis or just, you know, right. a dosed uh, steroid. There's more, more, so many more options. Agreed. Well, and I think, too, as a challenge to all of our listeners, at least, if a patient comes back for you to you more than a time, there's one thing for them in the chair to say, oh, yeah, my eyes are dry sometimes. And if they've never done anything, bringing up the idea of artificial tears, like I'm all about, I want to treat the patient the best I can, but I also do it in reason. Like if a patient is has lower symptoms, even if I do see some dry eye signs, I may say, here's the things you should consider doing. But start with some artificial tears to see how your eyes are feeling or let's get you in a better contact that's healthier for you or whatever it might be. I like to keep it simple, but I always leave the last statement. If you're not feeling better, please come back to me. Don't wait till next year. 
Right. And same oh, with yeah. any treatment. If they come in for just dry eye, if they're coming in for a short, you know, problem-focused exam, and I give them one treatment option, whether you set a follow-up date or not, if you're not feeling better, come back to me. Don't let this keep going. Right. Do right. yourself – just saying someone, oh, you, like, I don't see any problems, you're fine, that's not what the patient's looking for. And so no. if that's the answer you're giving and they're truly in pain, send them to somebody else or try something new because the patients are often asking for something and you give them yeah. an option and they're so happy that you finally are listening to what they really need. Yeah, I think follow-ups follow are important and valuable, you know, from, you know, I, and I think you know, we talked about this a podcast or two ago, you know, I think so many optometrists are focused on, you know, their average income per patient encounter and they're used to selling, you know, $500 pair of glasses well, that's not realistic every encounter, you know, it, it's just not. And so I think what you, what many optometrists need to do is to look at it a little bit differently and see that, you know, if problem focused dry eye evaluation takes all five minutes um, and can get you, you know, 50 to $120, depending on the complexity and whether ancillary tests you may do, um, you know, it's, it's just an easy thing and something you, you really should be doing anyway. Um, and, and the important thing uh, associated with that is that when you do start to really treat dry eye, you need to follow up. You need to make sure make sure things are working, and it's it's quick, it's easy, and that's that's what doctors do. You know, yeah. they prescribe things, they follow up with the patients to make sure that they're working. Yeah, absolutely. Well, cool. That's all I got about this. Any other comments, Jim? Jim? No, it's good. I I think it's something that you know we're continuing to learn more about and get more experience with. And uh, I th I think one of the biggest parts of it is just education and knowledge, uh, so that patients can know they're not crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think that about does it. Before we go, reach out to us for feedback, questions, stories, things you want us to talk about, either on Instagram, Facebook, or call or text us nine two zero three five zero eight six two two. We never depart without saying thanks to Valley Contacts for their support, both for their amazing lenses they make and the great people they are to work with. And be sure to tune in and listen to our next episode. But until then, try not to blink. <laughs>